You're listening to the Captain Groomer Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to podcast episode 11. As always, the lovely Lauren Bruin is here, and tonight's guest is a very special guest, a good friend of mine, a wakeboarding legend, Eddie Roberts. Oh, thanks a lot for having me on, Savon. Good to see you again, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure to, to be here. Dude, fun times, man. We're going to get into a lot of fun stuff. Eddie, you have the background of the century. We'll get into like, you know, chatting about your dad, but you're like water sports legend. Everybody around here in the Northwest knows you, let alone the world. So kind of like break that down, um, just starting at light. Just with growing up, growing know. up, Le- and Le- legends a bold claim, Savon. I don't know if I'd, I'm I'd say. quite qualified to take that one on, but I'll always be happy to work my way up to it. But uh, you know, I got to give all the props to my dad. He's the one that brought me up through this industry, and uh, he's been super involved in the water ski wakeboard industry since the very beginning. Starting up her- some of Herb O'Brien's first brands with him, and uh, most recently with Radar Skis and everything. So I mean, it then had a front row seat to all of his involvement in the industry and kind of his title uh, by a lot of publications was the legend behind the legend. So he was kind of like Sean Murray's first contact at Hyperlight back in the day that hooked him up with his first board and kind of started that whole relationship. Guys like Wade Cox and all the way up through like Chris Rossi and some of the most legendary skiers out today, he kind of helped foster some of their careers and helped them design their skis and put together the marketing programs and everything. So it's been really cool just to kind of have a front row seat to all the work that he did in the industry and just try to uh, carry on the tradition and uh, bring more people into the sport in the right way. Dude, that is super dope because like I remember coming out to Radar Lake when I was out filming for, I think it was Defy or mm-hmm. something. And I'd never known that that private lake existed. Did you grow up before it was Radar? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So it was always Radar Lake when I was aware of it. Um, so it, it really became Radar Lake. Um, Man, I would w- I want to say probably the early 80s when it became Radar Lake and uh, Herb had sold it to a guy named Matt McPherson who ran a company called Radar Electric. And so uh, that's when it got the name Radar Lake and when Herb was doing all of his R&D up there for HO Hyperlight and everything just kind of stuck as Radar Lake and uh, that's how the legend was born. That is incredible. I do know like the backstory of how the lake came to be and all of that mm-hmm. but like what was what was kind of like your take on this like private lake at the top of a hill that nobody knows about and being able to go there and just kind of like did it feel like an everyday thing or like, wow, I'm a part of something that's real different? Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny. It's like the the kid in the cookie factory uh, that just doesn't really understand what they're a part of from a young age. And I really kind of, I get a lot of that, um, those feelings of how legendary of a spot it is when I have an opportunity to show my friends that are from anywhere in the world that are fans of the water ski wakeboard industry and when i get to bring somebody up there that's never been up there before and you kind of see their reaction to it that's kind of really special to me because it's awesome that i get to share that but that's how i kind of get that feeling like oh wow this really is something special not that i don't recognize that myself but just growing up there as a kid it's like oh yeah that's this is where we ski and this is where we go swimming (laughs) and um you know there are so many private lakes around uh this area as well i mean there's got to be at least 40 private water ski lakes in washington Mm -hmm. state alone so growing up with my dad traveling to a different private lake every single 
uh, every single weekend for the water ski tournaments and everything as a kid. I, it just kind of seemed like normal. All my friends kind of grew up, had their own private ski lake. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, radar is the one that's closest to my house. <laughs> totally. But, yeah. I mean, I definitely, uh, I definitely understand the significance of it today, obviously. And uh, it's really cool to be able to be kind of an ambassador for it. And uh, as well as just seeing how many people my dad brought through there as kind of like the steward of Radar Lake. And especially that's where my dad went to work every day, uh, designing all the newest uh, radar skis. Uh, they have the whole R&D facility down there in the barn where they produce all the high end water skis. And so. Uh, it's been uh, been pretty cool, kind of seeing um, all of the evolutions of that lake and the the brands that uh, that lake has been a part of. Dude, definitely something you touched on in that little bit was like the R and D part. Like, do you have you noticed? Because I've been listening to like other podcasts and YouTubers, and they're like, oh, I got drones are flying over my house, and I hate that. And like, do you f- ever find when you're in the research and development part of a new ski? And you're like, this is super under wraps. Like nobody knows about it except like five people or whatever. Like, do you find like people are trying to snoop? People are trying to get peaks or like what's next? Um, you know, that doesn't really happen too much at Radar Lake. Um, I mean, just because it's so secluded and, and I do, I have definitely heard of stories of that kind of, uh, espionage taking place out in China and whatnot, where a lot of the things are manufactured in the same place. I mean, even in the video game industry, uh, where I've been working in for, for a decent amount, um, the video game hardware, you know, there's always people in those factories kind of snooping around trying to figure out what the industry leader is working on and what not. And so um, Herb uh, was really smart back in the day, uh, creating his own factory in China to to manufacture a lot of the mass produced goods and whatnot. So a lot of his secrets were safe. But um, yeah, that's definitely one of the things like, you know, a, a new ski comes out and we're testing it or whatever, you, you know, you kind of get the the idea that like we're not taking photos, we're not videoing the set like this is we're going to going to see how it does and, and then might see it in the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. That's got to be like the we'll touch. That was one thing you brought up was like the whole video video game stuff that I want to touch on a little later, but like the, the building of a new ski and you're out there testing a ski, like with, I guess without going into too much detail, is it like, like for now we're in 20, you just hit 2023. Mm-hmm. The 2023 skis are going to be dropping like now because the boat shows like right around the corner. Are you working on 2024 or 2025? 25 probably at this point and i mean again it's not like i am the person working on it you know like i'm kind of exposed to it and and i have worked in the factories in the past and whatnot but i'm not necessarily the one in there designing i can give some feedback for some things here and there but uh one of the things that was really cool i, I asked my dad i was like so like every year you're coming out with this new ski and the new material and and all this new technology when do you think you're going to have it mastered like when when are you going to have the perfect ski and just his answer was like never you can never ever have the perfect ski there's always going to be something new there's always going to be a new technique tinkering with new angles and new rocker lines and new materials you name it and uh and kind of that passion shows through i mean they're excited to go to work every single day and create some of the best plant products on the planet they have some ridiculously cool products those all carbon fiber skis 
like mm-hmm. so light. Yeah, I for one am not a water skier. I've never stepped foot on a water ski. I we got to change that this season. Yeah, let's do that, dude. <laughs> that's like I. I think the big thing for me is like all the videos you see on like reels or YouTube. And it's like just the end over end crashes where the guy just puts a little too much toe side pressure and then just like flips right over that ski at what thirty miles an hour. Yeah, that can definitely happen. Um, but I mean, the, again, those guys they're well, they're crossing the wake at way faster than thirty miles an hour. You got to imagine the boat's going thirty four miles an hour. You're crossing the wake at damn near 60 miles an hour if not faster sometimes but, yeah um with water skiing compared to wakeboarding and this is something that i tell a lot of my students you'll you'll work your whole entire career as a water skier to master these 12 or so positions i mean they're they're hard positions to master you got to be stri- really strong and have the right timing and the right technique and everything um it, but that kind of limits the amount of ways that you could possibly fall i mean to varying degrees of severity you know you might have falls that are worse than the others depending on how fast you're going but there's maybe like six to ten ways that you can fall on a water ski if you think about it but compared to wakeboarding there's an infinite amount of ways that you can kind of (sighs) contort yourself and be upside down spinning in the air and an infinite amount of ways that you can fall on a wakeboard too and that's kind of why the um injuries are a little bit more prevalent in wakeboarding than they are in water skiing i mean you could definitely still get hurt in water skiing but you see a lot of people water skiing at a higher level later into their careers rather than wakeboarding you kind of have a finite amount of time before one of those infinite amount of ways that you can come down catches up with you (laughs) yeah dude that's like hanging out with parks at the at the lake he's just like dude doing doubles like his double up that he just had i think i saw a video and it was from like years ago he's like oh no dude i didn't do that this year like wearing that double brace yeah Mm -hmm. but i feel like sean murray it's like one of those guys that like the original dudes who's still out there riding. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sean Murray is definitely a, a legend and inspiration to a lot of riders. But I mean, that is a testament to physical fitness. You know, he's on uh, the Ninja Warrior and he he's puts a tremendous dope. amount of energy into being in the best shape possible. You know, he's a Christian family man, makes good lifestyle decisions that kind of help you stay healthy in the long run. And uh, yeah, just definitely somebody to look up to in terms of having a long uh, career and uh, doing positive things for the sport. But uh, yeah, that's definitely... Um, Something that like the older you get, the more you got to stay on top of your fitness, be doing your yoga and all that Mm -hmm. good stuff, having the right nutrition, because if you're not doing all of that, then you just, you're going to get broke off eventually. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. So I'm curious with this being your life, what has been like your experience with staying in shape, you know, your nutrition kind of. Um, so my experience with uh, staying in shape and whatnot, and I know I've always had really inopportune injuries. I'm up to six surgeries right now for oh, different damn. injuries throughout my career. Not all of it has to do with wakeboarding. Some of it's skateboarding. Some of it's trampoline and other random things. Um, but uh, I I always kind of had like injuries in like the worst possible times you know i'd have Mm -hmm. a big competition coming up and i would like somehow sprain my ankle inside my wakeboard boot a week before the competition and 
would you still sudden, would you try and compete yeah oh yeah I, I did um and, and this is like we had a college, collegiate national championships going on in oklahoma a week after i sprained my ankle inside my boot and it was a bad sprain and mm. i landed the trick too and it was like the hardest trick that i could do at the time and i stomped it and somehow my ankle was just toast inside my boot and um so i I did everything that i could and 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 knowing what i know now i feel like i could have mitigated some of the the pain in the competition by just adjusting the angle of my boot to take some of that pressure off my ankle but anyways that being said um maybe 12 weeks before my senior year at cwu in the national championships um i shattered my ring finger riding in really cold water Mm. i come around on a 360 and instead of passing the handle, I didn't even know what happened at the time. I just nicked my the tip of my finger on the handle and the water was so cold that it made my hands so brittle that it just shattered that bone in my finger. Wow. And I, I didn't know my finger was broken until I brought my hands up to my face, tried to blow on them to warm them up. And I just realized that my finger was just cocked off to the side. Oh. And so I had to get a surgery on that. You know, it took me 10 weeks to heal on that. I got my pins out maybe two weeks before the competition. And and we went down to Louisiana and won it. Um, And and this is my senior year. I was like the president of the team and I like, I was determined. We were slated to win the whole event and we ended up uh, sweeping all the men's divisions and got two guys on the podium in men's A. So we just dominated the competition. But it was one of those things where that alone was kind of a big reality check for me. I was like, all right, like I need to do absolutely everything in my power to stay in the best shape possible because I'm at a, at a, disadvantage right now and um ever since that happened i I did tear a meniscus one time after that so um i graduated from central washington university a little bit of a late bloomer to get there um (laughs) but i graduated when i was 29 and uh with a tourism management degree and then um that next season i tore a meniscus in my right knee and ended up going through the whole recovery process again. I'd already torn my meniscus in my left knee maybe mm-hmm. 10 years prior to this and had the whole surgery process and everything. But it was that next year where I kind of, it wasn't, you know, everybody makes the new year's resolution. Like I'm going to do this specific thing different, or I'm going to do that specific thing different. Well, I made a new year's resolution saying, I'm not going to do a specific thing different. I am going to, make my resolution to have an injury free year across the board. Mm. And and that's going to take a lot of different things. You know, it's going to take a lot more time in the gym. It's going to take a lot more Mm. discipline and my nutrition and everything. And, uh, and since I made that resolution, that's probably nine years ago, knock on wood, I haven't had a significant injury yet. And I kind of told myself that I was going to retire from pushing myself at wakeboarding and competing at wakeboarding when I was maybe like 31, 32, but I kind of, I, I'm still healthy and I keep getting better. I'm learning new tricks and I'm still doing well in competition. So, and, and you know, I'm one year away from being able to compete in the veterans division. <laughs> so, you know, at this tough point, it's kind of a war of attrition. You know, that if I can just outlast some people, then my, <laughs> I might have better results in my competition. Yeah. <laughs> That's nuts. You're, you're that close to veterans. I mean, like you've been wakeboarding, competing practically your whole life, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and- that's a question I had. How old were you when you first like got out on the water? 
Uh, well, my parents tried to drown me when I was like two years old, teaching me how to kneeboard <laughs> out in Pine Lake. Um, I, uh, I was, I, and I barely remember this. I just remember that because they've told me the story so many times. I do, I do have like a flashback of like being stuck underneath the mm. kneeboard because I was strapped into the kneeboard. It was back when they had the plastic roto molded kneeboards. Oh yeah. And um, so we're just out behind a little electric boat in Pine Lake and kneeboard flipped over and I'm strapped into it. And I'm not big enough to like roll it over on my own so i'm just like stuck underneath the water on this thing and um trying to get my head above water and finally i was able to get out of there just scream bloody murder and uh <laughs> since then my parents couldn't get me back on the water until i was like four years old or so and so wow yeah then got back into kneeboarding loving it and uh you know it's funny one story with kneeboarding i was really young um and herb o'brien was uh just like if you weren't progressing, then might might as well quit the sport. You know, like he was like very adamant that you learn a new trick every time you go out, like get better, get better, get better. And so, uh, and my dad kind of had a different approach with me. He's like, oh yeah, whatever, as long as you're having fun, yada, yada. And mm -hmm. so I remember I was trying to learn a 360 at one of Herb's spots out in Moses Lake, the Sun, Sun Basin Ski Ranch. Um, is back on the edge 720 kneeboard that ho is making and I, and I had it in my head that you have to be like wrapped up to do a 360 I think I was like six years old at the time so I was like wrapping the handle behind my back and doing all this stuff and and I kept falling on it and and herb was driving the boat my dad was back at the dock at this point in time he, and herb was like threatening me like Eddie I'm not taking you back to the dock unless you do this 360 and I kind of like scared me at the time wow. as a little kid I was like <laughs> six uh, years old all right well I guess I'm gonna have to try this handle pass then and I tried to handle pass and landed it the first time and wow now I I could do a 360 change my life you know so you kind of have to have that like, tough pressure every once in a while to be able to make those leaps but um yeah it's just kind of fun growing up in that atmosphere where you had people around you that were um kind of had that nurturing aspect from my parents but then you had some other people that are kind of a little bit more hardcore that made damn sure that you were gonna learn something new that day yeah dude that is the epitome of sink or swim mm -hmm. exactly <laughs> like that's gnarly like yeah yeah and then uh, after that i i started uh like combo skiing was kind of like one of my first things i still i think i was like maybe like seven years old when i was started uh, uh skiing on two skis mm -hmm. and then the day that i learned how to wakeboard i i actually couldn't get up on a wakeboard the whole entire day like i just mm -hmm. could not do it this is down at maytown lake and we tried and tried and tried i could not figure it out um and uh then the next day i was gonna try to get up on a single slalom ski because at that time i was just getting up on two and then dropping a ski uh okay. and, and yeah I, I tough to say how old i was maybe i was seven or eight at this time um and uh so then the second day i was able to get up a couple of times on the single ski i was like all right that's awesome and then like i was like all right now i can do that i get to go back to the wakeboard and try that and sure enough got up on it first try and uh but wakeboarding was always kind of like the side activity to water skiing at least with like my family okay. uh it was like you you skied first and then if you want to do something afterwards you know you could tube or kneeboard or wakeboard but it was never really like the focus until I had my own friends outside of my family that were into wakeboarding. And that's what we started to focus on. And that was probably when I was like 14 years old or so. I feel like that was like a big shift is like that those early 2000s is when like the board sports like really took off, at least for a lot of people that I know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, 
in like yeah late 90s early 2000s is kind of kind of that era but um in all of that like in water skiing in wakeboarding like in and all these different things that you've competed in what are some of those achievements that you've made whether you know the medals or like the honorary things or you know and then kind of cruising into like what you do for business as uh-huh. far as the coaching side uh yeah so some of the achievements you know it's it's funny i, I i've always been a big uh fan of martial arts and uh being that i'm a wakeboard coach you know it's kind of like that dojo sensei kind of mentality where it's like i feel like i have to win tournaments in order to earn students you know Mm. and so um i uh but i i growing up as like teenager even through as like 20 years old maybe um I, I never really won a competition. I was not like that consistent or that great of a wakeboarder growing up. I just like, it hadn't quite clicked for me until I started coaching wakeboarding. And so once I started coaching wakeboarding, a lot of times my students would want to see a demo and it's like, well, I, I better do it right. Cause mm-hmm. they're looking to me as like the authority on how to do things. And so that kind of like really forced me to progress at wakeboarding. And also I was getting a lot more reps in, you know, and mm-hmm. if you're doing a, a demo for your students, that's really conducive to a competition run in an, in a, in an event where you have to link together your best tricks and call it a day. So that really helped me to actually be able to start doing better in competitions. Um, and then I'd say that I, I I've won a handful of like the Northwest riders competitions, mm-hmm. um, and done well in the, um, Lake Stevens Aquafest. I ended up winning one of those. That was pretty fun. Those were fun. And yeah. I love those events. Um, but uh, probably the the event that meant the most to me was uh, in I mean I, and I did well in in a lot of the college uh, wakeboard events uh, for the four years that I was going to school at Central Washington University. But to actually like lead a full team of college athletes down to Shreveport, Louisiana, <laughs> and uh, for all us to all do really really well, you know, we got, we got. Uh, first place in men's A through D, two guys on the podium in men's uh, A. I mean, our, our team was absolutely stacked and our, our girls did really well. We got a guy on the podium, Pat Mahoney, in um, uh, the wakeskate division. So, I mean, oh, th- sick. not only to win my division, but to win that event as a team, that was probably like the most special moment that I can uh, recollect. I mean, I've done well in some uh, events, like we had the national championships in Monroe here and took second place in the men's division and uh, that qualified me to go to Japan and got to go compete there. That was a really cool experience. So, um, I mean, I had some, some moments that I'm proud of in terms of the competitions go, but definitely like the team activity and like seeing that success for the whole team and for us to all kind of graduate our college careers like on that high that there's nothing that compares to that. That's dope. That's super cool that it was like that team effort. Cause you always think like wakeboarding, it's like a single person competition. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. when you have a team all doing it together, like oh, that yeah. makes it way better. Absolutely. And the, the amount of pressure that that puts on you, though, is like nothing else. Because normally it's you go to a wakeboard event and it's like, yeah, whatever. If I don't do well, like doesn't matter. It's just me. But if you're going with your team to this event 
and you don't do well, then it could affect the whole entire team outcome. So, I mean, it just adds that extra level of pressure when you're, you've traveled all this way to do this thing, but it's not just you, like your results matter for the overall score. So, I mean, definitely adds that extra pressure, but, um, and I, I gotta admit when I was on the dock during the, my <laughs> finals run, I'm like freaking out because th that was the gnarliest weather that we've ever competed into. And I, I really think that, um, the reason why we did so well is we just had like a really talented, strong team. You know, our men's a rider was Thomas Olson or no, um, Kyler Green was our men's rider that season. He is just an absolute ripper out of Oregon um, who came to school at Central. And then uh, Thomas Olson was our men's B rider, which Thomas is just ridiculous. So with other schools, like what Thomas is men's B like? <laughs> who the hell is the men's a guy um and then uh i was riding men's c and then uh sean harris was riding men's d and all, all of us are like athletes in all sorts of different fields on the water you know like yeah. and and that that was why we did well because when we got down to the event we're riding on the red river and they just had like a huge um like tornadoes and flooding and whatnot way up river so there's literally like trees coming down the river <laughs> like and like just like snapping turtles and what? snakes and and it's just banked walls on both sides yeah and the river is running one direction maybe like five miles an hour the wind is blowing the other direction like 10 miles an hour and it was just white capping the whole entire time mm -hmm. i mean there's just there's not like a moment that you can like all right that's when the wake looks good i'm gonna go for it you just have to like commit and hope it works out and just kind of rely on your waterman instincts to get you through. yeah i remember there was one time um uh in the semifinals i was um uh, like mid toe side 360 and I spot my landing before I pulled the last end of the spin landed blind and I just see like a fat log exactly where I'm gonna oh, land man. I'm like well yeah. we're gonna go for it anyways it's now or never and I, I literally felt the log like hit the bottom of my board gunk, and then just landed it all right on with the next trip <laughs> it was pretty intense Dude, those those are the that's like PTSD for me. Like I've definitely ridden white caps. My boss, my old boss that I worked for in the whole yachting world, he's like, "You can ride white caps. You can ride anything." I'm like, aren't competitions in glass? Like, aren't they on like glassy water usually? Like, I'm I want to ride that. And he's like, "Never, no way, dude." Mm -mm. And yeah, I remember it. What took me out was a log ju just under the surface. I came around on this trick I was trying to create, and I basically sat. It was a blind sit and my butt like literally slammed on the notch of a tree oh. and like I got stitches on my back and yeah, like, it was, that was the one that we were like, yep, we're going to call this off. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Or just stick to riding in the nice water. Yeah. Now I just surf. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's easy on the body. Wake surf. Yeah. Good old wake surf. All right. Nice. I remember you're, you're a proponent of that. I like that, that you're like, you stick to your guns, uh, especially with the social media, like it's mm. wake surfing it is wake surfing do you yeah. ever call here a wakeboarder say hey i'm gonna go board today <laughs> you know do you hear a wake skater say i'm gonna go skate today there's a big difference between skating and wake skating and there's also a huge difference between paddling out in the ocean and going surfing and going wake surfing mm -hmm. so yeah don't get it twisted <laughs> that's a clip i'm gonna clip that <laughs> perfect <laughs> it's gonna be real for sure dude doesn't that make you want to go ride yeah yeah but what kind of ride I mean, I grew up water skiing and haven't skied in forever. Obviously, you're trying to get me into wake surfing. 
did that last year. Yeah, I just in Chop Central. Yeah, that was that rough. Was terrible. It was so rough. I was. But you stayed up. <laughs> you got up though. Oh yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it was brutal though. Yeah. But yeah, it was like the choppiest weather, but we were out there. It was like a more. I don't know. It was, hey, it was well, you probably had a good driver and a good coach. Oh, she, had yeah. Ju- she had Julie. Oh, okay, yeah. perfect. We were yeah. on Julie Supreme. Mm-hmm. Nah, that, that'll make all the difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things why I'm so into uh, coaching water sports. I, I hear all the time these stories of, oh, I tried wakeboarding, but it was so hard. I couldn't do mm-hmm. it. You know, the boat driver didn't know how to drive, or they just told me to, like, hang on to the rope tighter, <laughs> you know, and there's just so much bad information out there. No and, guidance. And uh, <laughs> just people that aren't really putting the correct coaching out there when they're having people out on their boat. So that's one thing that I'm really fortunate to get to do is kind of like an extended boat delivery with a lot of the dealerships in the area. Um, a lot of times when someone buys a new boat and they don't really know how to use it, even beyond the the general delivery where you kind of go through all the functionality of the boat and how to trailer it and different things, um, a lot of the dealerships will refer people to me so I can go out and kind of give them that further coaching. to. And my philosophy when I'm going out and teaching a lesson. I'm not just trying to teach somebody how to be a better rider. That's definitely a part of it, but I prefer coaching in groups because I'm talking to the people in the boat as well. Like, Hey, like Mm -hmm. this is what they're doing and this is how you can kind of identify the certain things that they're doing wrong. And this is how you can kind of create analogies for them on how to fix those problems that they're having. But then also teach the boat driver how to drive properly for new riders and and more advanced riders, you name it. But I want to kind of enable the boat owner to be a better host for their guests on the boat to create more success stories rather than that story of I couldn't do it. It was so hard because nobody knew how to tell me what to do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. dude, I've seen that four million times at the Kirkland launch. Mm -hmm. There's ethnicities of the ass that are like... (laughs) Let's pull it up. How are you like, dude? And it's like just slamming. Mm-hmm. I've seen boats just slam left and right. But we, um, the question I had that I had with that. So are you, when someone buys the boat, are you saying like, hey, get like all your friends together, like all the people that are going to be around the boat. Like, are you saying let's do this together, or is it the one person that buys the boat? Like, hey, let's go meet at the dock at five and kind of do whatever uh well i mean i wouldn't encourage me at the dock at five you know well, I, so getting a little busy out there but um yes it kind of that, that idea i mean i i, I don't want them to have like a giant group of people that i mean if they want to do that that's fine i don't mind coaching in groups but um it, i can that can cause its own distractions mm-hmm. having a bunch of people out and then also having when you have a bunch of people out it kind of um causes people to be a little bit more timid, a little bit more shy. You know, they don't want to really put themselves out there because wakeboarding is kind of like that sport where you're on display. You know, you're the only person back there. And so a lot of times people just don't really want to be in that position. So especially when we're working on things, you know, they're going to be less likely to try things and fall Mm -hmm. that if they have a boat full of people that they might be trying to be cool around and or impressed or whatever. So, um, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, but, um, uh, so I mean, anywhere from like three to four people is kind of what I prefer, but I mean, if it's a family, I'll coach the whole family, but, um, yeah, trying to teach people, um, what to look for in other riders also kind of helps your own riding too, mm-hmm. just to kind of put it into theory versus learning it while you're just purely behind the boat. That makes sense. You know, the, the times of the season, like throughout the year. So like right now we're 
filming this the end of January. So we got the boat show coming around. The boat show is always, you know, that like it's over Super Bowl. It's always over Super Bowl around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? I don't know. But well, they don't do it on Sunday anymore. I know. Since the Seahawks they, went to a couple of Super Bowls, that got us all out of having to work on a Sunday. Unless you have to move out of Super or move out of the boat show during the Super Bowl, that's kind of that one sucked. The worst end of it. Yeah. Yeah. But, I forgot who called me for that one, but I had to like move a shitload of boats like out, and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-mm. But um, okay. So the the question is really like, what do you see as the pattern in every year in each season? When are people buying buying their gear? When are people buying boats? What I'm getting at is I know that all these manufacturers are now doing the Chris Craft is what I call it. They're doing like, well, if you want your boat in May, you have to order it uh, like December the year before to get your boat. Have you noticed this, these like different trends? Yeah, you know, and, and that's something that has been fluctuating throughout our industry since the beginning of the industry. You know, we, we're always going to have hot seasons and slow seasons. And, um, you know, you can go back all the way to 2008, you know, when we had that the recession where before 2008, everyone was on the lake. Everyone had a boat. Everyone was killing it. And then the recession hit and then all of a sudden everyone's trying to sell their boats and all of a sudden the dealers like have too many brand new inventory because everyone's trying to sell their boats and it's just saturated with used boats now. And so uh, during COVID, you know, I mean, this might be tough news and hopefully a lot of the dealers are trying to not have this happen. So, I mean, we'll see what happens here. Um, But uh, I, I feel like there was so many new boats put out on the market from like 2020 to to now. And, and yeah, if you were going to the boat show, you know, your likelihood of you being able to buy a boat right then and there is pretty low, depending on who you're going to. Yeah. Um, because they're taking pre-orders for the next season and the next season, just because so many of the builds were spoken for, um, going into this season, you know, things are a little bit different. And so I'm just really curious to see how many people are going to be hanging on to the boats that they bought Mm. during those previous boat shows, or are they going to be selling their boats to trying to lean out a little bit? And is that going to flood the market with used boats? And I mean, in, in, 2021 i think that's the first year in the history of boating or maybe even 2020 um where the boat was an appreciating asset yeah people were selling their boats for more than they paid for them because there was just the that was the availability wasn't there and so i mean that kind of market stability is just not sustainable and yeah it's cool for the people that that it worked out for him, but I just kind of feel like we we might be going back into that flood of used boat used uh, boats on the market, mm-hmm. uh, just depending on how things go in the next few months. Yeah, well, even like this last year, this last summer, twenty twenty two, I know so many people who had brand new boats and their V drives, they're all crap. Like V drives were going back uh, manufacturer warranty every other month. Really, like they were constant until we figured out that the batch of V drives that were made, they were rush ordered. And so they're just like, throw these things together so that we can get them in the boats, so that the boats can be sold. The V drive meaning the transmission? The literal transmit. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Yeah. The actual um, training part. And I mean, obviously there's some idiots that don't know how to drive. Like they slam it forward. Like, yeah. yeah I call course. it F and R, but it's like, you know, your drive forward in reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, these, these trannies would just like explode. They'd die, they'd drain oil, whatever it was. But 
so many boats and we were all thinking, okay, well, there was a shortage. Mm-hmm. So it's like all the manufacturers like, well, we'll just shove these transmissions out so they can get their boats and out. And fix it later. Yeah. yeah and yeah. we'll just fix it. We'll just keep throwing new ones at mm-hmm. it. And um, yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking with this year, moving into 2023 is I know some manufacturers who really cut back on their new orders. Yeah. They went from like, like I know one brand does 210 boats every year. Like that is their cap. That's what they make. If you're a dealership and you get one, you feel happy, you know, that you got that. Mm -hmm. And then this year they've actually cut back. They're like, we're not doing as many new boats because we want those new boats to like really be pristine. And it's even more of a luxury. Yeah, that's smart. But then there's also the forward thinking of all these people that bought these boats for four, five hundred thousand dollars are like, I don't need this house payment. Or, or, or they realize the cost and the and the amount of effort it takes to maintain the boats over the long term, way up to store it during the winter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean it, we'll we'll see. I, I'm not I'm not saying that we're gonna go into nobody's having boats and everyone's gonna lose the it's bottom. Just, but it's the it's just the new boats. Yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. like what you were saying, the supply and demand. Like yep, as we go yep. into 2023, there's going to be way more supply than there is demand. Because like you said, those boat price, I was blown away. You did, uh, they're like those crypto guys or whatever. Like they would say, oh, put your money into this. And guys are like, I put my money in that. If I had bought this boat and then turned around and sold it six months later, I would have quadrupled my money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like the only time we were saying it. Like you think anybody's going to be trading pictures of monkeys for boats? No. Nah, <laughs> this year? Or <laughs> <laughs> is it the ape? Yeah, yeah, The yeah. ape, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you have your hand in so many things. Besides the wakeboarding stuff. Like, we've, we've been touching on that quite a bit. But, like, you have the video games. You know, you're a yacht captain. You have a coaching. Yeah, the wakeboard coaching stuff. What do you, like, what don't you, like, you do so many things. You know, it's actually kind of tough for me to even remember all the things. Like, it's so <laughs> contextual. Like, oh, yeah. That, that, I mean, today I was kind of working on property management all day. I've been getting into waterfront property management. Um, and uh, I was up at Lake Stevens just getting a couple things dialed in at a house up there. Um, but, yeah, I mean laser tag <laughs> video game hardware well yeah i mean that, that was that was so rad um did you guys ever go to virtual sports when that was open i never got the chance to did you no i didn't oh man yeah. i know the guys who owned it okay nice you know yeah, yeah. but um, i never got the chance yeah i was doing some like corporate team building events and whatnot for uh, virtual sports when they first opened and uh yeah we we ran that hard um and we had like virtual sports league we had all the seahawks involved doug baldwin was the commissioner of our laser tag league (laughs) we were streaming it live on twitch i mean there were so many things going on with that and then uh after that i was fortunate to have an opportunity to go work for club med in cancun so i lived in cancun on their resort teaching wakeboarding and water skiing for all the tourists and whatnot um sounds amazing and then after i got out of there (laughs) i got brought on as the marketing manager for a video game hardware company that specializes 
devices and travel accessories. So I was kind of the point person for all of our um, professional athletes and touring musicians, anyone that wants to take their Xbox or PlayStation on the road with them. And uh, that was fun career while it lasted uh that company ended up uh, going by the wayside uh once the new consoles came out it wasn't really conducive for traveling just the new xbox is so huge and the new playstation you couldn't even get a thanks hold vlad of. yeah i know right um but uh yeah so uh yeah i moved on from that and i kind of had a to really kind of think about what my future is going to look like once that company went out uh because they they loved the fact that I taught wakeboarding because that introduced opened up all sorts of doors to new uh, people in the tech industry and whatnot. Uh, one of my buddies that I've been coaching for a long time out on Lake Washington, he was. Um, I mentioned to him what I was doing in gaming. He's like, "Oh, that's cool! Like, I didn't know you did that. Have you met Phil Spencer, the president of Xbox, yet?" And I'm just like, "No, I haven't." He's like, "Oh, why don't you come in next week?" And so it's like my my boss loved the fact that I was teaching wakeboarding to all these people in the area because it was great mm -hmm. networking for the gaming yeah. brand. And so um, once that company went away, I didn't really have that like cushy job to be doing during the winter, you know. And so mm -hmm. I was like, "All right, what am I going to do? I'm either going to." try to go work for Xbox direct and take my whole contact list to them and start working with all these athletes and celebrities through Xbox, or I'm going to get my captain's license and all my super yacht certifications and really double down on this nautical business. And, uh, that's what I chose to do. And that's what I'm doing to, the, to this day. Captain Ed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I might go back to video games eventually. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it all works out. I never, never close the door on anything. I still have my, uh, a good contact list and I still, um, have the Instagram and a lot of the things from the business that I could activate at any time, but kind of waiting for the right opportunity. There's a good one. Hmm. Building Instagram marketing. The thought process of doing your own thing, you know, really marketing yourself, sharing what you know, like, you know, you're a coach. I'm a coach, but, you know, health and nutrition and lifestyle. And so it's like, how would I use? I mean, I see it all over, right? Everybody I feel like is using Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, Just don't to, use TikTok. I don't. And, but everyone's Thank like, get God. on TikTok. Everyone says, get on TikTok. I'm like, I just can't, you know? I hate TikTok. So, yep. Uh, I just. I'm Don't right get your now information to China. No, I mean, our information's already out there. I'm sure. I know. But. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We're screwed. <laughs> I know. People yeah. are always like, yeah, go ahead. Just like, you know, what is the marketing strategy? What is the formula? What is, you know, like there's specific things you have to do and the algorithm is always changing. And I just feel like it's so much energy to like keep up with it or like, you know what I mean? Did you ever feel that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where if you, if I, I feel like Instagram can't be the thing mm -hmm. that is going to make or break your business. I mean, if it is, then you're going to be watching it nonstop and that's just not healthy. You right. know, like you can be on Instagram and do stuff and be an influencer and whatever. But, um, if your whole livelihood is how many likes did I get? Why is the algorithm not catching my reel the way that I thought it was? Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to do that because you like it. You like to share it. And it's like kind of post and ghost the way that Joe Rogan yeah. describes it. You know, like <laughs> if you get too hung up on like, why, why hasn't my view count hit a certain number yet? Then, you know, I don't think that's necessarily healthy, but mm -hmm. you know, everybody has a different method to promote their business. And if you rely on Instagram, I can see how that would be really helpful if you figured it out. And if you're right. smart enough and you have the patience enough to figure out those algorithms and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I just, 
like I said, I like Instagram, but you can't get too hung up on the success of any given venture based on the, uh, based on the performance of Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Another thing I wanted to touch on real quick when I came back to the, came to the wakeboarding stuff. So do like dudes, it's like weight riding this and that. And so I've had friends that I want to come out and ride, but they're girls. They want to ride my board and it's like, it's too big. So I want to get a board for her, Mm -hmm. but it's like in this space, you know, that's something that you could teach people is like, how would you recommend her the right board for what she wants to do? Like, what were those things that you would go through to dial her in on a board and a setup? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, So with wakeboarding, as opposed to snowboarding, snowboarding, you can kind of pick your board out based on your height, because you with the, the taller you are, the more leverage you have over that board to do what you want it to do. But with wakeboarding, it's more based on weight. So um, you because the more you weigh, you're going to push that board deeper into the water. And uh, that's that just one difference between picking out your board. There's not like, a, all right, I stand up this tall and the board comes <laughs> to me right here. It's it, it's really relative to how much you weigh. Um, and then with boots and everything, there's a uh, closed toe boots, which is kind of like been the um, the dominant technology over the last 15 years now. Uh, so you really want a boot that's going to fit your boot or fit your foot specifically to the size rather than just a range. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean that that's kind of like the more performance style. You can always go with an open toe boot. If you want a boot, that's going to be able to fit multiple people on the boat and not just you. Uh, so that's one thing, but then also the stance is really important. There's one thing that I noticed with a lot of my customers, I'll go out to their boat for the first time and get them all set up. And their stance is just kind of all over the place you know and, and, and i can imagine but I, 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 directional yeah 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 exactly um i used to be guilty of this though too so um i, I would just kind of like it, it was the cool thing to have like a super wide stance back in the day oh yeah and and so i just like throw my boots down and look at them yeah yeah that looks cool <laughs> That's my stance, you know, but, but without any like anatomical reasoning behind it. And so, um, I, I've been doing some muscle activation techniques and mm-hmm. I think you're probably familiar with mm-hmm. that. Um, my buddy, uh, Zach, uh, Perry, a kid who actually used to drive the boat for me for my first, uh, wakeboard lesson coaching venture for the Mastercraft dealership in Issaquah way back in the day. Uh, he became a muscle activation technique specialist and I went to talk to him and we, I brought my board in just to kind of figure out some things. Um, and I can go into MAT another time, but, um, it's kind of like a cross between like physical therapy and massage therapy. And so mm-hmm. we were looking at the stance on my board and I, I was kind of all the way out and a little bit more straight, uh, toes forward kind of stance. And I, as I put my board on, uh, on the ground, I would squat down and I'd kind of, once I got lower, I'd feel my weight kind of dropping out the back. Or mm. if I, if I didn't let my weight drop out the back, it would kind of create a lot of pressure on my, the outside of my feet and my knees and my ankles and whatnot. So what I did is I stood on my board with my socks and I just did a, uh, balanced squat over the top of my board and then you kind of if you start with your feet uh straight forward the lower i got while trying to keep my weight directly over the board i could feel my feet kind of duck out but Mm -hmm. it turned out that the best stance for my body was all the way in and really ducked out maybe like 20 
two degrees ducked out. Wow. And, and in that position and, and, and it dawned on me that that's the exact same position that I squat at the gym. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, I, I don't squat at the gym in like a right. gangster wide <laughs> stance. That looks cool. You know, it, it's like I gang, squat gang. at the gym in a position that's like stable. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and so I figured that out. And so ever since then, that's kind of what I coach a lot of my students is, is really take your time figuring out like what step, feet uh, position your feet need to be in as you squat all the way down and all the way up that won't create tension in your uh in your joints mm -hmm. and so i've used that for my wakeboard ever since and i and it's made a huge difference and uh, i use that for my snowboard and everything now too and it's uh worked out pretty well so far nice that's legit thanks so then how with because that's like a great thing that people can take away and, you know, kind of figure it out. They can reach out to you and be like, Eddie, how do I like do this or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then also the wake surf side, because mm -hmm. you're not strapped in. They're all EVA foam top for the most part. If you're, you know, competitor like Julie, who uses the stickiest wax <laughs> on planet Earth, you know, <laughs> like I have never seen such sticky wax. Anyway, like when people are getting out there on their on the wake or the wake surf, you mm -hmm. know, you're just open. Yeah. on a board so there what i remember is there's a surf a hybrid and then a hard rail yeah. for skim mm -hmm. like what would you really like categorize as like like intro to like advanced well okay so um you I'll, I'll talk about the different kind of boards first but um i'll talk about the stance uh yeah. Right now. Um, so with the, uh, the stance, uh, I, the first thing that I try to get people comfortable with is, is scooching their feet around on the board. Because if you skateboard, if you do anything where your feet aren't attached to the board, you know that even if your foot is like a centimeter out of position, you're, you're going to feel helpless to do what you want to do. So, um, I don't know if you've ever ridden the flow rider in snow. Oh yeah. They have, yeah. you know, sometimes if your foot's like in the wrong spot, like you're, you can't do what you want to do, you know, you're oh, yeah. stuck. And so you have to wiggle your foot just a teeny little bit and like, Oh, okay. Now I have control, you know? And so trying to get people comfortable wiggling their feet around because your feet will kind of naturally find their right spot. The more comfortable you are wiggling them around. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just like the flow rider, if your foot's a centimeter out of position, you're going to feel stuck. Like you can't do what I'm instructing you to do. Okay. Now mm -hmm. you just need to wiggle your front foot closer to the toe side edge. Maybe that it's that simple, you know, and the, the more advanced wake surfers, you'll see that they start to have their foot a little bit more centered, but because their foot's more centered, they tend to put more weight up on the ball of their foot to keep that toe side edge engaged. Yeah. But unless you're comfortable putting the weight on your ball, or your foot, you need to cheat your front foot over towards the toe side edge when you're first learning so uh getting comfortable like wiggling your feet around on the board is going to be the most important thing for wake surfing that i try to get people comfortable with right off the bat and we even work on that on the swim step a little bit before i have people go out uh but then uh trying to pick the right board um for the first time if, if someone's never wakeboarded never wake surf before i usually want to put them on something that's like a compression molded like a like a wakeboard style technology okay. um uh, because it's neutrally buoyant mm. uh so it's it's a lot more sinkable than uh say a surf style board that's like fully foam that you can't get underneath mm -hmm. you when the boat's getting up to speed that's usually people's biggest challenge is trying to sink the board underneath them as they're 
rising over the top of it. it I mean, if yeah. you've wakeboarded before and you're just learning how to wake surf, you can probably manage on a surf style board. But uh, starting from absolute scratch, I highly recommend that you go with something that's like a, like a fiberglass uh, wakeboard style construction um, rather than a full foam construction. And that happens to be a lot of the time it's the skim style boards, which mm-hmm. kind of has its own challenges for beginners. But if you can find um, something with that neutral buoyancy with some good stable fins, that should be your go-to for teaching anyone how to wake surf. Sweet. That's pretty good because that's actually what I have. Yeah, I was like, wait, which one did I ride? <laughs> yeah, you rode uh, the shim. It's a hybrid. Yeah, yeah, that one mm-hmm. works really well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really good board. A lot of um, A lot of my friends have really enjoyed it. Cause Grub gave me that board. Nice. Yeah. What's Eric's blind uh, on the, the pot belly the, cruisers? Uh, the naked. Yeah. With the the radar, you know, the radar is like wake surf, like full surf line. It's like completely white glass. Radars or Ronix? Ronix. Ronix. My bad. Uh. So yeah, I think those like the the pot belly. Um. And I don't think they make those specifically anymore, but I, I want to say that was kind of like the naked technology where it was kind of more of like a, a fragile foam style construction, very yeah. similar to a, um, uh, to a ocean surfboard. Yeah. 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 Cause those but again, those are super buoyant and trying to teach somebody so how to get up on that for the first time. I mean, and that's actually why, um, Herbert Ryan had such success with the original HO Hyperlite because before the Hyperlite, there was the, the Skurfer. Mm-hmm. The Skurfer was kind of that same like roto molded plastic that was super, super buoyant. And being that buoyant, it was really hard for people to actually sink it and be able to get up onto it. And uh, so when Herb came out with the HO Hyperlite in 1991, it was the first compression molded using like a water ski technology uh, to make a wakeboard. And that made it way, way easier for people to get up onto it and that's kind of what revolutionized uh wakeboarding i mean i still like got the pretty much the whole video memorized for the <laughs> ho hyperlight my dad like narrated and filmed and wrote the jingle for all of the ho hyperlights original promotional videos that's Think so you cool having fun well you got that right everybody's <laughs> riding on the hyperlight <laughs> yes you know let's that's go right. <laughs> dude pops it right oh yeah definitely yeah, the, the, I have one of the the original hyperlight wakeboards. My brother gave it to me. The fins are like that big. I mean, they're massive. Oh yeah, the purple ones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're huge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, technology has come quite a long way. Big time. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit, blending the the wake surf, the wakeboard, and all that into the yachting. Have you yeah. ever done the uh, yacht surfing? Uh, I have done that twice now um one time uh, i went out with a buddy and i was just um uh driving a boat from one side of lake washington to the other side because i was teaching a clinic and i was running a couple hours ahead of time and i saw some buddies that were out wake surfing and uh, the owner of the yacht was like oh man like awesome like why don't you come out and try it and, and ride it and I'm like, all right sweet perfect sounds good he's like, yeah I'll, I'll hop in the in your mastercraft to drive that around a little bit and while you ride this <laughs> oh, thing and um i'm I'm wake surfing behind the yacht, right? And I look over and I see him take one of the yacht waves over the bow of the boat that I'm going to be in for the rest of the day. Just (gasps) annihilated it. (laughs) 
I was like, okay, cool. This, this is a memorable Yasser experience. Uh, but yeah, that was fun. I'm not going to name any names or anything like that. He knows who he is. I was going to uh, say, it's no, one of no, two Meridians. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the two of them. Uh, but then the other time was with the other one. Um, and uh, it was like, yeah, let's go out night wake surfing. And what? yeah, it was. Um, was this Chin's idea? No, I don't. Th yeah, no, maybe. Um, but well, it, it was a community idea. Um, there you go. I'll, I'll give Scott Joby the credit for this one. There you go. Um, and uh, so we're we're out there, and it, like the, it's like absolutely. It, it would have been awesome if it was like a nice night, but it was like the water was completely white capping oh, out no. in the middle of Lake Washington, and oh, yeah. I, I was one of the first ones to go and they didn't really have like the lights quite set up right I couldn't see anything and I'm riding backside for my first time doing this the wave is massive there was nothing I, I, there, I couldn't put enough weight on the tail of this board to slow it down I was wow. just shooting to the back of the boat the whole entire time I couldn't see any of the white caps that were coming at me <laughs> and it was like within 10 minutes of being behind that thing I couldn't my back leg was complete jello and oh. yeah. wasn't the most enjoyable experience Experience. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm willing to give it a go again when it's a little bit more daylight out and I'm not responsible for another boat that's going to get swamped. Or Seriously. You know, there's a lot of variables out there. Oh, actually, you know what? Um, we, uh, you remember a couple of years ago when it was like 100 degrees for like four days in a row? Yeah. We took my buddy's, uh, he has a 1968 35 foot Chris Craft that we took out into the Puget Sound. We took it over to spend the night in Bainbridge for the night and we're like, I had my board with me and I was like, dude, if we're going to do it, we better do it now. It's like the whole Puget Sound is absolute glassed what? out butter. And so what? we went wake surfing behind the, the Chris Craft and wow. that was super, super fun. I mean, nice. it's a tank of a heavy boat and it would like oh, definitely yeah. did the trick. Mm. Dude, and that's like between that and then like I've seen a lot of guys that come up, come up to the Northwest to hang out for summer. You know, they're all foiling everywhere. You know, there's like... um Douglas got to meet up with one of these guys and they were all foiling. They're like waiting for the ferry, waiting for a cargo ship to go by. And then they'd go out and foil behind it. Nice. For miles. Uh-huh. And like, have you gotten into any of that foiling? You know, I've always been really reluctant to get into foiling. Um, and because a lot of the people that I coach, they're like, yeah, I like, want you to teach us how to foil. And but with wakeboarding and water skiing, you know, wake surfing, I can manage a lot of the risk and, and keep people relatively safe. Mm -hmm. But with foiling, I just, there, there's a giant blade underneath people, you know, and <laughs> things could go sideways really quick. I don't want to be responsible for any of that. You no. Know? Like, and, and so I've always been a little bit reluctant to get into foiling also just because um, my home brand, Ronix, doesn't make a foil or at the time they didn't make a foil. So I just kind of like, I didn't want anything to do with it. And finally this season, Ronix has a foil coming out and I got a chance to ride that uh, at the end of last season. That was super fun. Um, and I've foiled one time since then so I, i'm that's something that i'm like a little bit more open to getting into now mm. that the home brand has mm. the board that yeah. I want to ride. um but uh so yeah definitely looking forward to that and i plan on um a buddy of mine uh, has a an e-foil school down in olympia so i'm gonna go spend some time with him spend uh riding the e-foils around i feel like that's kind of a a good way to get comfortable on a foil and flat water where I actually have control over the speed and everything. And the water's not quite as dynamic. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I definitely plan on spending some more time on the e-foil coming up uh, this spring. Uh, and then uh, once we get our hands on one of the new Ronix boards, I'll be foiling a little bit more, but I'm still like 
still a little nervous about yeah. it. I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to spook anybody with my first time foiling <laughs> story, but just about everybody has a first time foiling story, no matter how good you are. Like you're going to figure it out sooner or later. Wow. Yeah, I know. I rode one of the lift foils last year nice. out on like Sammamish and it was the hardest thing to figure out the speed and mm-hmm. weight distribution. Yeah, it's not intuitive at all. Like mm. getting up and riding it as long as the board was on the water or at least close to it was fine. Mm-hmm. The second you get up and you're up here pivoting, that's when you it all goes it. south mm-hmm. real yeah, quick. Yeah. Question, why do they call it foiling? I don't understand. Uh, well, it's a hydrofoil, and I'm not exactly sure uh, who came up with the term hydrofoil. I'm sure ChatGPT knows. Hey. Uh, we can ask the <laughs> AI. Definitely ask. <laughs> um, but, or we can have him write a song about foiling, whatever you wanted to do. Dude, um, that ChatGPT will do anything. Yeah, but I, but I believe that um, the term foiling came from uh, like the, the sailing industry because they've been mm-hmm. using hydrofoils and sailing for quite a while mm-hmm. uh, for like the America's Cup and some of the faster uh, sailing rigs out there. Um, it, but then also uh, hydrofoiling became popular in uh, towed water sports when the um, the air chair and the sky ski oh, came out. Yeah. And, uh, but it, and that, that's what trips me out about everybody foiling right now is I remember when the, the sky ski and the air chair came out, you know, there was a lot of precautions that you would take. You know, <laughs> you'd be like seat belted into it to make sure there's no way that the blade could hit you. You know, you, yeah. a, lot, a lot of times you'd wear a helmet and everything. Oh, and yeah. So but now it's like wow. you see people just kind of like no life jacket, no helmet, don't even really know how to ride in the first place, just all squirrely Have on a these beer things. In their hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, and there, there's like that very little that summer. can prevent that thing from flipping up at you. Seriously. I mean, and and you have to know exactly how to fall because it's not intuitive. Like you said, like you might fall off the side, out the front, and that blade that's you know it's tough to say so that's why i'm really dedicated to learning the ins and outs of it this spring just so i can kind of bring that educational component to anybody who's trying to learn how because it's it more and more people are trying to learn how to do it but we want to kind of eliminate that trial and error because on the error end of it you have a giant knife underneath you and we don't want to we want to minimize the risk especially with the blades you know, yeah. mm-hmm. those e-foils got those blades going on. Like yeah. if you have that thing pop up and then down your foot's next to it oh. and you're still holding the throttle. God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know one brand that does like a little mesh well, kind of cage it, around it, it. The ones that I've seen, though, is uh, there's um, like a circular device around the, the prop that protects it uh, to an extent. But then also uh, a lot of them that I've seen have like folding props, too. So if they hit something, they're just going to fold. Mm. Not to say that it wouldn't do something. It probably would, but hopefully mitigate some of the yeah. slicing action. <laughs> oh. Just reminds me, I almost ran over my foot once mowing a lawn. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we won't go there. I mean, yeah, hey, experience, you know. <laughs> That's a new one. I haven't heard yeah. that. Anyways, <laughs> I am curious though, Eddie. Um, what's your favorite sport? If you had to choose one, what's your absolute favorite? Mm, that's a really good question as well. And I would have to say that, um, MMA is probably my favorite sport. Mm. Um, I've, uh, coached wrestling for a really long time and actually coaching wrestling is kind of what 
made me successful at coaching water sports. I kind of took that same structure of coaching mm-hmm. wrestling and applied it to the wakeboard lessons that I was running. I started coaching wrestling when I was 18 and started coaching wakeboarding professionally when I was 20. And so I already had a couple years of experience coaching wrestling to like mm-hmm. middle schoolers, you know, and yeah. pe- kids that can't pay attention or mm-hmm. don't really have no history uh, wrestling whatsoever. To So to take them from like knowing nothing to like a successful middle school wrestler was just, it felt great yeah. for me to kind of create those skills for the kids and build that confidence and hopefully turn them into to good men growing up and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but uh, having the wrestling background, I've always been a huge fan of MMA and mixed martial arts. I mean, martial arts in general, whether it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu or Taekwondo or putting it all together for MMA, um, Muay Thai, you know, you name it. Um, I don't really grapple as much anymore, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe I'll start training right now. You'll inspire me and I can get one mm-hmm. amateur MMA fight in before I turn 40. What, they, what, what do you think? That's so cool. I love it. Yeah. UFC 300. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. No, 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 no. It wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be in the UFC. I got mixed feelings about the UFC right now. Um, cause yeah, you're, I'm, you follow a lot of, you know, you have, I mean, like you hit me up a bunch for like, we'd go out and watch a fight or whatever, mm-hmm. but like, what is your, your go-to for MMA? Like, what is like the kind of main spot? Well, um, so, I mean, UFC is kind of still like the golden standard. They have all, all the best fights and the most consistent programming. But, uh, one of the up and comers that I've been really enjoying watching is, uh, one fighting championship. And, uh, one is uh, an organization out of, mm, they're in Asia trying to remember the name of the country or the, or the city, but, um, maybe it'll come to me, but, uh, cool thing about, uh, one FC is they don't only have, uh, MMA, they've got uh championship jujitsu, they've got championship Muay Thai. So it's like, you can tune in for a fight and see a bunch of different disciplines on display and like the best of the best competing in those different disciplines. Um, and then, um, one of my favorite fighters is Demetrius mighty mouse Johnson. He's a local mm-hmm. guy trains out of Kirkland here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he, uh, was like the most dominant champion. He has, a record that'll probably never be broken in the ufc and then he uh went on to go fight in one fc and so uh he's the champion over there currently and they're actually about to do their first um uh united states uh fight uh coming up in uh colorado coming up in like march i want to say but they're also being streamed live on um, amazon prime too so it's like really accessible for a lot of people to be able to tune in and check it out that's legit Mm -hmm. that that stuff's going to amazon prime because i know forever it's like pay-per-view like go to somewhere Mm -hmm. that someone has paid for it to watch and now that's now that's going on because i know a lot of the sports stuff is getting taken over by streamers like different streaming platforms are like, hey, come over to us and like we'll pay you, you know, a ton of money. But then everybody that has an account, they're like, sweet, now I have this for free. So what have you that was one of the questions I had earlier on that I kind of wanted to um, oh, um, but before, before yeah. uh, keep that in mind, mm-hmm. um, but you actually asked earlier about the kind of my training protocol and everything. Mm-hmm. And so to bring wakeboarding uh, back to wrestling is I, um, I go into each season trying to make my weight class. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and actually, um, I got to live in uh, Florida for a little bit and did some training with Mike Ferrara, one of the best, uh, wakeboard coaches in the business. And his first question to me, I'm, I'm hanging out with him. I'm 20 years old. And he's like, what weight class did you wrestle at in high school? And I told him 145. He's like, get back to that right now. And I'm like, 
145 is a little bit of a stretch, Mike, but <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying. Like, that's like really important to be light as a wakeboarder, mm-hmm. not only light, but be strong in light. And so, uh, I, I approach every wakeboard season where I have to be like a certain weight before I go into, um, my season just to kind of protect my knees. You know, every extra pound that you weigh is an additional, um, uh, multiplied force mm-hmm. on your knees and your joints and everything. But then, um, also it's kind of another funny thing is we were talking about board sizes and how that correlates to weight. Um, it, it's I, really the popular thing right now. Everyone's going to bigger boards and I'm kind of reluctant <laughs> to go to the bigger board. So I, I ride a 138. I weigh about 175 and, um, right now I want to like weigh the amount that is for the board that I'm on. If I go and ride a 142, then I'm like subliminally giving myself permission. Like, well, I might be able to just go ahead and be 190 because the board's good for people up to 210, you know? <laughs> and, and so it's like, if I'm riding a 138, it like keeps me like strict to like being the right weight for that board. Um, and whether that philosophy is valid or not, I don't really know. But for me, it just kind of helps me kind of keep my, my weight to a certain range that I'm going to feel comfortable at. Right. Yeah. That's huge. I remember... Um, I worked for this guy, um, way, I was 16 years old, uh, first getting into wake. I actually started wake skating first. That was like what I could afford. And I was like, okay, I can get into this and then he'll teach me. But the only board he had was his 141. I mean, it was huge. It was a wing. <laughs> and he's like, all right, I'm going to, you know, teach you how to do this right on my board. I was only what, 150 pounds back then. So this board is huge for me. Mm-hmm. And so one of my bonuses, um, I was able to buy my first wakeboard. And I remember whoever I was talking to at the time, they're like, you got to have a Byerly board, like get a Byerly. The thing with Byerly boards, anybody that knows wakeboarding, Byerly boards are incredibly heavy because that's how Scott Byerly rides. His All this stuff is so damn heavy. So I remember riding that board and then I got in connection with Scott Sims and he's like, I'll get you on a hyperlight that is workable for your weight. And ever since I got that board, like tricks like flips spins we came so easy yeah it's amazing how much having the right setup will help you out you know you don't think about it until you get a chance to try one and you're like oh okay i get it now yeah and also like the with the point you were talking about with closed toe like i remember going from hit my old boss's open toe boots because he has huge feet Mm. to my you know custom molded closed toe yeah and i rode the absolute crap out of those boards those were the like I think it was like, so they were the Sean Murray or not Sean Murray, uh, Sean Watson. Oh, nice. The reggae. Yeah. yeah, With the little like gold pen. So I remember I like Sean and I became good friends and, uh, he signed one of them. He's just like, keep the dream alive or whatever. Nice. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been really cool. Like getting to become friends with these legends in the wakeboarding world. And we can just lightly touch on this. What is it like? being who you are and who you know that kind of field of hey i know like the who's who in these different industries everybody's coming up and annoying you to meet these guys or like what is it you know because i'm sure for you it's like it's just another day with these guys but like learning from them did you go from the starstruck to just another another homie 
Yeah, initially, you know, I, I was like the first couple times I got to hang out with Parks, you know, it was like definitely like, wow, this guy is like a level beyond anyone that I know that's cool. Like, and, and like Sean and those guys, you know, I, I really like admired and looked up to those guys for a long time and I still do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been kind of cool over the years, you know, getting to see him every year and you get closer and you kind of, especially with like social media and everything, everyone can kind of like follow each other and know what each other's up to. And so it's like, you're just kind of catching up with an old buddy every time someone's back in town and whatnot. And so it's, uh, yeah, been one of those things where, I mean, I still get starstruck people outside of the industry. You know, I, I got to meet, uh, Johnny Mosley at the <laughs> end of, uh, or the beginning of last season. So like seeing him, I was like, holy crap, this guy's legit, you know? And, uh, just, I mean, yeah freaking superstar um but trying to play it cool like i'm didn't know who he was right away <laughs> you know and um but you know it goes back to the other thing though it's like i'm really and i don't don't realize it until it happens but when i can say hey johnny like you've heard of radar lake right he's like oh my god yeah absolutely da, da, da. holy crap you you're familiar with it like have you been there and and i can kind of tell him a little bit about my story he's like oh man like like when i'm in town can i come and I'm, and so it's really cool to like be able to kind of share that with people that i'm kind of geeking out over who they are but mm -hmm. then they get to kind of like reciprocally geek out over like some of the access that i have and whatnot so mm -hmm. that part of it's really cool and then uh, like nonstop and I admit, I don't think this is ever going to end. You know, my, my dad was inducted into the water ski hall of fame. Um, that and, was super uh, cool. Yeah. Thanks. And, uh, so he was inducted into the water ski hall of fame. And, uh, when I went down there to deliver his speech and, and, uh, be a part of that whole thing, um, I, I met a ton of people that I had never even known who they were before, but they kind of come up to me and tell me stories about how much my dad helped them throughout their career and all these things. And so, um, that, is like really special and means a lot to me because you know my dad's not with us anymore but it just like you can see how much his impact is continues to be felt throughout mm -hmm. the industry and for me to kind of awaken some of those memories for people when i meet them is a really cool feeling so he here's a cool little story i was down on the dock um uh, same dock that i saw you at the other day on uh, lake union yeah and um so I'm, I'm getting our boat ready to go out and uh there is one of the neighbor yachts uh, is right there and so i just kind of start shooting the shit with him talking a little bit and uh, uh and so one of the first questions that i asked people is like oh do you water ski at all especially at the older generation because th those guys mm -hmm. don't really didn't really come up wakeboarding like we did <laughs> and and, and so, but, but it, that it's amazing how many doors that opens. So, uh, especially around here. And so I asked him, oh, do you water ski at all? And it's, oh yeah, I ski out on Lake Sammamish, you know, I knew Herb O'Brien and Jeff mm -hmm. Joby and all those guys. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so then I asked, like, do you know Eddie Roberts? He's like, oh yeah, I've known Eddie for 35 years. You know, he's, I used to make all the parts for him at this, uh, uh, for, for all the skis that him and Herb were making. And, and then I mentioned like, that's my dad. And they're like, what? Like my mind blown and so it's That's cool dope. that like a guy that i never met and this is literally mm -hmm. last week guy yeah. that i never met before in my life all of a sudden we have like 35 40 years of rapport just wow. through the work that my dad has done and uh so we exchange information and then just a couple of days ago he sends me a picture he's like oh man my wife found the shirt that your dad gave to me <laughs> 35 years ago it's like one of the Aww. old ho pro shirts dude that's so, legit so it's pretty so cool. cool like kind of and, and you know and he hadn't even known that my dad had passed away you know that knew that my dad was uh fighting cancer for a while Mm -hmm. and uh his wife was pretty close to my dad also so um 
to kind of like sad to break the news and whatnot, but you know, just it's, it's cool to be able to like kind of keep that memory of my dad alive. Um, and, uh, Mm -hmm. and bring those good feelings back for people and they bring a lot of cool stories and good feelings back to me. That is so huge, dude. It's very much a community Mm -hmm. and like the whole water sports stuff. Um, so junior, because you are Edward Roberts Jr. Incorrect. What? And oh. incorrect. <laughs> what? I'm Edwin. Oh, Earl Edwin Roberts the third. Wow, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandpa was a stud water skier back in the day too, and my grandpa is actually an engineer for Boeing, and uh, so he uh, was tinkering with different fins and different types of skis like way before my dad ever got into the industry. So, um, the, my grandpa got my dad his first Wally Burr water ski um, when they were. Uh, uh, my dad was like 13 years old and mm-hmm. uh, they took it out Christmas day on, on the Puget Sound before wetsuits oh, were a thing and went God. out skiing on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <gasps> Christmas? So, Christmas morning. Oh my God. Yep. Wait, was that what you posted on your, I don't know if it was like Instagram story or like a reel or something, but like you were out on some like hella old boat with this like classic water ski. Yeah. Is yeah, that yeah. what that is? Yeah, exactly. That's dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was with my grandpa's boat and uh, we were doing some testing and whatnot for uh, when we were uh, dropping my dad's ashes at Three Tree Point in Burien mm-hmm. where they used to go water skiing together. So we dropped my grandpa's and my dad's ashes and then skied through them and whatnot with like wow. my dad's whole crew there. It was pretty cool. That's sick. Mm-hmm. That is a great way to be remembered and kind of like the send off of the century. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I want to kind of get into just when, with what you were saying as far as like when you go somewhere and people are like wow like you're looking at these people like this like i haven't met this person before like they're a legend in their own respect out here Mm -hmm. in washington you are that legend like when you go somewhere and people are like oh my god eddie's here you know what do you what do you really take away when you're going out on the water and you're on different people's boats and you're out like riding or like what is that kind of like vibe that you get when people are on the boats and just like the whole boating community, you know? Well, um, you know, I actually kind of learned this from Sean Murray back in the day. And Sean is really, really good at this because you, when you're at that like pro wakeboard tour event or whatever, like all the guys are really accessible, you know, they're, they're close to you and whatever. Sean's the guy that's always going to go and like introduce himself right away. He doesn't really like allow there to be a barrier, you know, like yeah. he, 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 presents himself as like a real authentic guy like immediately mm-hmm. and uh so there, there's a couple of guys that are really good at that like currently like mossy piffaretti he's like an example mossy of is like hilarious so, so personable though he's like just so authentic and he's like mm-hmm. there with you he's not like on his phone paying attention to something else like being cool guy or whatever like he's like literally like there with you and like just giving you all the time in the world and uh just being an authentic human yeah you know there's no ego involved or whatever so um that's kind of how i try to be you know mm-hmm. and i don't really like like i was saying earlier i don't really feel like i'm some legend coach wakeboarder from the area or whatnot but maybe that's why i am approachable because i haven't really like let that go to my head or mm-hmm. and i won't let it go to my head you know i'm, I'm here for people to benefit off of kind of some of my experiences and and be their mentor in a lot of ways and so if i have that degree of separation right off the bat then it's kind of just 
you don't want to have that barrier, right? Totally. You want to introduce yourself right away and just get to talking, get to know somebody and just put them at ease. And then you can go on with whatever you want to talk about. Totally. Dude, that's like a, a great approach for sure. Is that kind of like how you took your approach to coaching? Like, How did you get into like the whole coaching thing itself? Well, um, when I first got into coaching, um, it was, I, I would travel with like, even as like a little kid, I would go with my dad to all these water ski clinics and we'd be teaching people how to use all the new HO and Hyperlite products and whatnot. And so I, I was kind of grew up around doing that, but then how I kind of developed my knack for coaching, um, one of my best friends, a kid named Jeff Ward, um, he, uh, was like really, really talented water skier. Uh, he was really good trick skier, you know, you jump 160 feet on water skis and whatnot, like, and just, just a badass all around. And this is when wakeboarding first started coming around and I, I wasn't the talented skier, you know, I, I was maybe like three years younger than Jeff was, um, but he had the talent and I had like the vision of what needed to be done to do certain tricks. I was like, all right, Jeff, if you want to learn a half cab roll, which is a switch back roll to revert, um, you need to do two or let's do three of your biggest half cabs possible just like a straight switch to regular 180 i want you to do three of those in a row and then you're going to try a flip on the fourth one with that maneuver and so that was like one of the first times where i like really broke down how to do a trick and every and he was like my little lemming you know <laughs> i would tell him like hey try this and he'd be like oh like this and then he'd he'd learn it like right away and so that's kind of how i figured out how to communicate the wakeboarding but i never really turned it into a business until um i i've worked with a lot of different boat dealerships throughout my history you know like i worked for cope mcfeeders was the first boat dealership oh, that I yeah. worked for back in the day it was the mastercraft dealership in redmond or in renton and then I got a job working for Bakes Marine uh, back when they were selling Malibu and they're still in business, just crushing it as a pro mm -hmm. shop and uh, partnering up with uh, Northwest Inboards. Um, but I was working for uh, Bill Baker for like two years to three years, maybe. And then Coat McFeeders had come back to me and said, hey, we're going to start up a Mastercraft dealership in Issaquah. Do you want to be kind of take the lead on like creating the culture of the pro shop and uh, helping uh, Darren Lamont, who is now uh, ironically enough at bakes um so do you want to help darren out with this whole project and i was like yeah absolutely it sounds like a dream come true and so i went and uh helped them out but I, it was kind of a weird thing because i'm still good friends with everybody at bakes and i'm friends with all the other dealers in the area and i didn't want to like take the approach where i'm gonna like poach customers from them i don't mm -hmm. want i don't want their customers i want them to keep all their customers i want to create new customers yeah and so that's where i started getting into coaching as a profession because we had the demo boat at the dealership why don't we promote all over issaquah learn how to wakeboard and so we did that and we just stayed slammed busy for the whole entire summer teaching mm. brand new riders how to wakeboard. And we would invite them back to the shop. Hey, we have a t-shirt for you for participating in our wakeboard school back at the shop. Why don't you meet us back there at 10 and we'll hook you up. And so we, they'd come into the shop, see everything that we had. And so we kind of created our own um, customer base through teaching wakeboard lessons. And so that's kind of how I got into doing it as a profession. And so it's taken on many different forms where there, I have a boat from the dealership and I'm supplying all the stuff to, or whether I'm going out with a customer who already has all the gear and they just need to like teach the kids how to do it better and 
or learn how to take the wife out to lunch, you know, and put out the fenders, you know, it's a, there's a broad range of people's needs, like on what they want to do with their boat. Yeah. But, yeah. Totally. No, you have no idea how many people I've run into, um, whether they're my mom's friends or other friends from different walks of life, whatever they are. And they'll be like, yeah, Eddie, Eddie taught my kids. I'm like, Eddie Roberts. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. He's a good buddy of mine. I mean, like you have no idea how many times that has happened. Like you've really touched a lot of people's lives, like Lake Washington, Lake Samantha Stevens, like all the lakes around here and the lake life is so big. And so, you know, with teaching, there's a lot of variables that come into play, but like, um, one, one other like little thing I want to touch on is you're also a pilot and a pilot in the sense of you run boats, Mm -hmm. big boats. Yep. Yep. Yachts been running some big boats lately and and so that was one of the other things that I really had to like I said earlier I was I needed to make a decision whether I was going to be in the wakeboard industry or if I was going to go to work for Xbox and Microsoft which wasn't going to allow me that same freedom to take client calls and go out and teach wakeboarding and whatnot so uh part of my decision to remain in the industry and continue to coach was i needed to escalate my offerings and i needed to be certified to work on bigger boats and actually have some work during the off season as well um and so uh fortunately the yacht that i'm currently on we run mostly during the academic year and so uh yeah it's been really cool being able to pilot that and um uh, you know, I, I've got my captain's license and everything, but we have a captain who's responsible for that thing 24 seven, but, uh, it's been a huge, um, uh, learning curve and just like, it's a bit, it's been a challenge, right. You know, and like, what are you doing if you're not challenging yourself to oh, yeah. learn new things? It, it's, it's relevant enough within my wheelhouse that I am like, I bring some like good, background knowledge to that position but Mm -hmm. the amount of like learning that i do on a daily basis when i'm out there driving that thing it's like it's really cool and it it kind of like just gives me that like feeling that i can be a wakeboard coach you know wakeboarding coaching is always going to be my bread and butter it's going to be my core of what what i do but to have those like bigger offerings that are kind of attached to that and i i mean like it's all networking too especially in this area and oh yeah uh, i kind of came in contact with the people with this boat through another boat who they knew about me through wakeboarding so they brought me in to do a wash down on their boat and then next thing led to another like oh well this other boat needs a deckhand for the dinner cruises and uh <laughs> next week i was starting on that boat and yeah. that's kind of like my resident spot right now but it's uh it's cool it's a really good crew and uh captain's awesome um i probably bugged the crap out of him with a lot of questions uh but you know he uh has been kind of a good mentor for me and teaching me a lot about that side of the business it's awesome because like you know asking questions is how you're gonna learn but not destroying someone's head just like not <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah not exactly because dude i mean like from my house on my deck i can look out and when you light that thing up mm-hmm. like I'm like oh there's Eddie <laughs> and you're just like putting along you know a couple knots whatever like and then you just absolutely crank it I mean from my view it looks like it's cranked but for you it's probably a few degrees nothing like driving a double up in a 130 <laughs> foot yacht <laughs> um you know it's it funny I'll, I'll I'll say one thing about a mistake that I made the other day um I mean in in our industry cautionary tales are important um yeah. but um that when I'm driving it, the captain's giving me commands on uh, what 
degrees of turn that we make. And so, uh, for the whole entire time that I've been driving that boat, he tells me the degree of rudder that he wants me to put on for a given turn. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we're approaching Carillon point, right. Yeah. And, um, we're going to start making our turn, um, uh, right in like cozy cove kind of area to come back. I think I saw this one. Um, <laughs> it, it was like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but so he, he tells me, all right, 20 degrees, uh, starboard. And I'm just like, I, I thought about it for a second. And I'm like, seems like a lot. Um, but I didn't say, I didn't speak up like, cause I, that's, he's only told me 20 degrees yeah. and, and if he's ever told me degrees, it's on the rudder. Um, I didn't realize that he meant heading. Right? Oh. And, and so I have the mate in the, in the pilot house with me as well. And, and he noticed that I kind of like paused. Right. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And, and I just cranked it 20 degrees. And then all of a sudden, like, he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, dude, you said 20 degrees. And the mate's like, yeah, you said 20 degrees. And he's like, no, I meant heading. And like, uh, all right. And, and so I, we, we corrected it and it was okay going forward. Now, every single time he tells me like five degrees on anything, I'm just like, rudder right like, yeah. right cool yeah rudder um, but we were talking about it the next uh, cruise we went out on and he's like yeah that did not go unnoticed either like, like a couple people in the boat were like kind of like lost their balance for a second it was just like yeah because that's but, a that's a tall yacht dude mm-hmm. yeah exactly i mean we weren't going very fast and we have taken that sharp a turn before when we've been going like pretty damn slow but uh that we still were running like i don't know like even five knots and you take a 20 degree turn, you're going to feel it. Yeah. So whoops, my bad, but you know, like it's <laughs> kind of a, a mutual mistake in communication and, uh, nobody rolled an ankle. So we're yeah. good. Hey, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yachting, the yachting world, like nobody knows this, but the, we have the most boats per capita on earth. Mm-hmm. And like whether it's like working on the on the yachts, you know, running them, you know, driving them like there's a humongous community out here and like people will do anything to get on boats these days, especially for like Instagram or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, to make their lives look cool. You know what a business that you could crush it with, Savon? Mm. And I, I think about this all the time and I don't have the time to give it a whirl, but you know, um, or anybody listening to this might want to give this a try, um, is the amount of hot tub boats and tourist boats mm. in Lake Union. I don't see a single service where there's like going around and like taking photos of the boat. Hey, like you're in this like beautiful setting with your boat with your hot tub boat with your best friends and you know you have the space needle and the in the skyline right behind you you know what if there's a boat that comes up just like any other tourist activity you do you know at the end of the activity like cool like here's the 50 dollar photo package and that's that you know so that's yeah you partner up with those companies doing the hot tub boats so mm-hmm. people can choose that package from the beginning so it's like okay you've got someone scheduled at this time you're gonna go out and and then there you go yeah there are two things that i that i already and see with that a lake union is a seaport for the drones or drones are tough. no yeah, yeah, yeah also you're within five nautical miles of boeing and so that's also a no. Mm-hmm. Um, Can't wait. You could be in a boat and take pictures. Right? In a boat. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, I mean, like to, to me yeah. <laughs> and then like the monetary side of it, like what am I going to do? Like take, take my jet ski out and <laughs> sit on that. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I got rid of my sea dudes. Just a thought, just a thought. Yeah, it's a good idea. It Someone you know, someone you know, could do it, the right don't person. Don't let someone take this. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, if you did, you got this one for free. Dude, you know, yeah. you know where I thought yeah, you, you were the going? You're the Captain Groomer royalties now. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I have it. Um, you know where I thought you were going with this? was um there's a operator helicopter operator out of florida and he sends all of us pilots these stupid cards twice a year that says do you need hours in a helicopter to get xyz well if you come fly with us it's boatpicks.com and it is the shadiest setup on planet earth but I legit thought you were like, dude, just take your helicopter out. Lauren can snap a photo. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, that's yeah. going to be like the most expensive. Well, 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 there's a fine line of like being creepy with it too. Though. People need to know that you're like there for the business to take oh, yeah. photos of because otherwise you're just like a dude like <laughs> taking pictures of like bikinis in the hot tub boat. You know, it's like that could go sideways real quick. Oh, dude. There's actually a law um, written into it. Like you can't zoom in. Like with the cameras that we use on the helicopters, like the, I could be five thousand feet up and i can zoom in on someone's like notepad oh like wow. i can look at your phone like the zooms are just so so far those laws don't apply to the satellites though uh no i mean government kind of just does what they want to <laughs> do all right, all right fair you know thermal radio thermal imaging and all that mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a little different um two things last two things if you've if you've made it to this point props to you going through the whole podcast with us two last things one how do you get sponsored and then two What's next for Eddie Roberts? Well, how to get sponsored. That's a kind of a interesting question because I didn't really have any sponsors until I was like, but you have a lot of partners. Yeah. I've had a lot of partners, but that's how you have to look at it though. These are like partnerships. And so, um, the way that I have always had success in building new, um, ambassador relationships is trying to identify opportunities for that particular brand before I ever like approach them and say like, Hey, give me free stuff or like, don't you think I'm cool or whatever? You know, it's like, you kind of have to identify some opportunities for them. Like, Hey, I, I saw that you're doing this and that is really relative to this thing that I'm doing. And if we were to work together, then you, I could be a direct line into this event or this industry or you name it. So, I mean, having some, um, benefits thought through, like before you ever approach somebody that you want to work with, that's a really important thing, but it's like, I feel like that's the best, um, uh, athlete that someone wants to work with is someone that's going to bring, um, new opportunities for that brand rather than just be like, Oh, tag me in your Instagram story. Or, that shit doesn't do much. Yeah. No, it yeah. really doesn't. Exactly. People might click, but yeah, and, yeah. and you really have to be like living that lifestyle and, and, mm-hmm. um, uh, be authentic with it. Um, so there's, um, <laughs> Uh, uh, and, and also just real quick, uh, going back to the gaming stuff is that, and that's actually kind of how I had some success in the, um, the gaming industry, working with all the athletes and everything. Cause these are all like NFL players, NBA, like PGA, NASCAR, you name it. Uh, they, but, but I actually like was able to speak to them as an athlete that had a history of my own sponsorships and whatnot as well. So a lot of times these guys thought they were like so cool and be like, Oh yeah, like hook me up with a free thing and I'll like tweet about it or whatever. And so what I learned really quickly is that if you are to give somebody something to somebody for free in exchange for one tweet, then that's the only time they're ever going to tweet about it. Mm. But if you 
stick to your guns and like it, you, you can spruce up the deal and, and customize it. We did a lot of custom video game cases for these guys. Um, Dude, they were dope. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, custom graphics and everything. So, oh, yeah. so I'd give them a discount on the unit itself, or if they paid full price for the unit, then we do a free customization and the guys love the free customization. So, but because there was never like a trade attached to it for the tweet or the Instagram post, what you'd find is they, it actually becomes like a part of their life and mm-hmm. they're like posting about it all the time versus like thinking that that the one tweet was like the trade and then it's over Mm. you know so so if they still pay for it Mm -hmm. they they use it and it becomes part of their life and they're like happy to to promote it but if Mm -hmm. it like if it's free then it just kind of loses its value i was just gonna say there's more value to Mm -hmm. it to them yeah yeah exactly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's just kind of like one kind of like off tangent about sponsorships in my experience, but mm. um, really providing more value to the brand that you're trying to approach than just uh, look at trying how many tricks I can do, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, I, but I, I do remember the very first call that I got um, uh, for a sponsorship was from Greg Young from Northwest Riders. Oh, dude. And to ask Great to, guy. Like, join the Northwest Riders team. And that just like stoked me out beyond belief. And that was actually my first year going to school at Central. I was like 25 at that time. And uh, so to like get that phone call was like a huge uh, bonus. Um, and uh, but that was the other thing is like I got the phone call because mm-hmm. of the stuff that I do. It wasn't like I'm trying to like track them down to, mm-hmm. to create the sponsorship. You know, you want to have the relationships before you had the sponsorship. Um, and so um, uh, one thing too is actually just last night um, I realized that I needed to order some new sunglasses and I've got a little bit of a sponsorship deal with uh, uh, with Smith and so mm-hmm. I, um, I almost wore my Smith t-shirt tonight. Nice, nice <laughs> and so um, they uh, they have a really uh, great program for uh, for industry professionals and whatnot and but you have to re-up it every year and so mm-hmm. I um, I was able to email them and tell this story about like, Hey, like funny story about, uh, when I was wearing my boomtown shades last time I was wearing them, uh, was the day, t- the day that I met Johnny Mosley and, and he had the same exact boomtown shades on, wow. w- w- and they just came out. And, and so we kind of like walked past each other on the beach, like kind of like give the nod, like, how do you have those already? <laughs> and, and, and so that was kind of like our first like interaction. And then we got to talking like an hour later or something like that, but to kind of share those kind of stories, like it, w- it wasn't like, Hey, like, can you give me the discount again for the year? <laughs> it was like, I kind of like shared a story about how like yeah. this, uh, this partnership is kind of like weaved into my life and how it's kind of created a connection. And, and then, Oh yeah, it looks like my code's not working anymore. <laughs> like, Oh, boom, there you go. Here. Yeah. So, I mean like little things like that, you got to make it personal and, and authentic. Um, and those sort of things go a long way. Yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um, one like, I just want to touch on this real quick because it's like it's always been playing in the back of my head. I talked to my brother about this a little bit ago, but like, um, how sponsorships have like basically gone to the wayside because of social media. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that trend in the sports that you're a part of? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the sponsorships kind of like come and go a lot quicker now because Mm. there's so many new brands that are trying to like do the influencer marketing thing. And so, you know, something might, it's like a flash in the pan a lot of times. And a lot of that, 
um, brands that are looking to sponsor people might not give a crap about that person, but it's like a number of how many followers they have. So, so there are some like ploys that are a little bit less authentic than, um, than others. But yeah, it's just one of those things that's like kind of the digital age that we're in and everybody's trying to be an influencer. You have like a thousand new shoes and sunglass companies coming out every other day. And so, I mean, like it's cool when you get approached and, and people want to like give you a discount or a free pair of shoes or actually this is a really interesting one. I'm not sure if I can talk about it. I'm pretty sure I can. Um, but, uh, so a buddy of mine, um, uh, that I used to coach his daughter's uh, wakeboarding right here in Kirkland. Um, uh, I never realized it, but he's in the military and he, uh, he's like, yeah, I like it. He's has a lot of info, uh, a lot of experience working uh, with like influencer marketing and some of his jobs, but he uh, reached out asking if, uh, I could use some of my channels as a, uh, water sports advocate to promote the in recruitment for the army national guard <laughs> and i'm just like thinking like what? i'm thinking like okay like it, how do i like make this like an authentic thing you know I, i'm down to like help my buddy out you know and and i've always been a big fan of the military and everything but it's like here I am, 39 years old, like never served, you know, I'm an so MMA random. fan, yeah. but like a lot of my friends uh, from college or in the military and everything got like tons of respect. And I'm like, the answer is yes, I want to do something to help you out, but I, I don't like how am I going to like post something about like join the um, National Guard, <laughs> and you know, that, that like has like something to do with me. And so it actually kind of got me thinking, it's like, maybe I'm going to join the National Guard then oh. to, to heck with it, you know. And <clears throat> but then a couple of people kind of like, Eddie, I don't know if that's a good idea. We're on the verge <laughs> of some crazy stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, you right probably now. don't want to go down that route. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. I mean, go be a pilot. Yeah, there I you mean, go. you already are a pilot. Uh, so, well, boat pilot's a little different than what you do. Um, a lot different, but but it's like one of those things. Like, how do I make it relatable? You have to like really think through these things mm-hmm. before you just like post it and like yeah. expect that somebody is gonna like the thing. I mean, it, it, everybody's got a different um, audience for their following as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I when I post stuff about wakeboarding, boating, scenery, travel, you know, that gets a lot of traction. If I post some crap about video games or action <laughs> figures, I get like three likes on it. You know, it's like, I like it. I think it's cool. But like nobody else does, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I it would I, I feel like if I was to post something like that, it would just really kind of fall on deaf ears. Um, but that's not to say that I I'm not wouldn't be down to like go through some like old man training with with the guys in the National Guard to help them out with a project or yeah. or what have you. Um, I mean, I got some friends in Ukraine that like were wakeboard coaches just like me. You know, they, yeah. they run a boat yard. They're a wakeboard coach looking forward to the season. All of a sudden they're enlisted, learning how to fly drones, trying to like figure out how to what push back the Russians, you know, so that's their life now. Wow. So, Dang, so and dude. I follow them on Instagram today. Like, shout out to everybody like fighting and surviving over there. But that's like, a, it, it's been a subject like very heavy in my heart, mm-hmm. and, and that's the reason why I legitimately for a second I was like, you know what? Maybe that's the move. Like, I want to get a head start on my training in case shit ever hit the fan over here. Yeah. But also, I don't want to have to like go anywhere to fight a war that's not directly protecting my family. So, yeah. 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 
go shoot a bear at 50 out of a, out of a helicopter. Yeah. Just yeah. nuke them all. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dude. Well, in that, like kind of wrapping things up. Cause we've, we touched on a lot, Eddie, like you have quite the legendary background and a lot of people look up to you around here, but what's next? Uh, what's next? Well, I plan on continuing to increase my, uh, ratings, uh, driving bigger and bigger boats and, uh, continuing to coach water sports throughout the area. I'm, I would really like to do um, a, a host a water sports event because that's one Ooh, thing that I feel nice. like our area is lacking in a major way is there's just no events, you know, and it's like kind of a bummer for me because uh, growing up with INT in the area, we had Northwest sessions, you know, there's a lot of ski events, but now like the last, I don't know, since 2019, you know, there hasn't been a single accessible wakeboard event that somebody can enter you know wwa has brought some events to the area but it's like you have to like go to boise to qualify oh, for yeah. the event or like something it's not like a kid who's from the area can go compete in a local event and a lot of the parents of the kids that i coach they're like all right so kids are getting better at wakeboarding like when's a competition and i'm just like uh, <laughs> there aren't any right now. So I, I really feel like it falls on me. And if, if I'm not going to put something together with my experience of hosting events in the first place, like I don't think anybody's going to do it. So, you know, I, I'm kind of trying to put together like the Northwest wakeboard Illuminati of like the important people that would be able to help me host an event. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's, pretty important to me whether i had the time to put that together or not like i i mean it's it's important i love to do it um so you know thanks for bringing it up because now i got the wheels turning on that again but um yeah i i, I think that we need to bring some events back to the area um some uh, friends and i have been uh, kicking around the idea um for a long long time um kind of something similar to northwest riders but or northwest sessions but wake toe tour of washington mm -hmm. and um i've got wake toe dot com you know it, it reverts to my other website but um uh i'd like to do like a legit like wake tour of washington hit a few different spots around the area and bring the community back together because we all grew up going to events and that's how we made some of our best friends is going oh, yeah. to these wakeboard events at the int and, and northwest sessions and so uh the fact that there's nothing like that that will bring the community together at the moment is a little bit of a heartbreak for me but i mean totally uh, yeah, that's that that would be something uh, I'd like to put together. But, you know, time and team permitting. Dude, we could totally do that. All right. We could easily put that together. All right. Will you will you be in my Illuminati? I will do it. OK, I will be your live stream producer. Perfect. We'll put together. I mean, between you and I and the, the people that, you know, I mean, because I know who, you know, and like we could put something huge together. Mm -hmm. We could stream it on a massive platform mm. and people from like local like could you imagine if you told a kid hey we have this you know opportunity for this wakeboard competition like come out and it's gonna be streamed live on x platform mm -hmm. you know the the intro like you, you know we could host have, it yeah yeah, yeah. Host that'd it. be so fun run a you know, podcast while you're doing it you know yeah do a live <laughs> live session you know mm -hmm. i got the mics i got right. you know i have i know how to do the produ the producer side of things but I think that would be a huge thing to bring back to the Northwest. There's so many kids now, especially with um, teaching online. Kids mm -hmm. are going to school online. So they're like during the summer, you know, especially spring, 
they're like, I don't got to do anything in class. Like, I'm going to go ride. Dad's got a boat. Let's go. Let's go kick it. Yeah, yeah. So then if you have like a kickoff tour, then you have a middle of the summer tour and then you have the finals tour, mm. like those three stops, you know, those are like the key things to hit mm-hmm. and then have those credits be able to go to, you know, getting a pro card and moving, moving forward in that way. That yeah, would yeah. be huge. Mm-hmm. And you would be the face of it, you know? Yeah. Put me on the mic. I'll announce it. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get you, uh, Dano. Yeah, exactly. You know, Dana was my inspiration for a lot of things. Um, after I finished uh, my college wakeboarding career, I got uh, brought on to uh, be the announcer for the college nationals and several other events after that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been another little fun segment of my water sports career that I'd like to get into once uh, once the events come back. Dude, you get that voice down. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna send it. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> you guys have great voices. You got it down already. So. Oh, thanks. Yeah, Eddie definitely yeah. has it down. But yeah, dude. No, this has been awesome. Um, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me. Uh, my Instagram is probably where I'm most active. That's uh, at Shred Eddie on Instagram. And then my website where I host a catalog of all my videos from uh, wakeboard videos to my old acting and modeling career. Um, <laughs> we didn't yeah, even get into that. Yeah, yeah I, I forgot about that. See, it's like one of those things. Um, dude, I, this is I that's part two. I just remembered it. Um, I'm but, writing that down. <laughs> I'm but, so uh, writing that down. Lakesports.com is my uh, website for that. Um, got... Um, what is it? Uh, wakedojo.com. You can find me at wakedojo on Instagram. I haven't posted anything yet, but I like the sound of it. And, then, uh, and shredgasm.com. Yes. <laughs> I like that one. Shredgasm. <laughs> I do. That's a good one. That is awesome. That needs merch. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. For That's sure. Wow. Whole idea with it. Oh, we're going to blow some merch out mm-hmm. of the wall with that right. one. Dude, this has been awesome. Lauren? Any final moments? No, it's been great. It's been yeah. good. Thanks yeah. for having me out. Eddie, thank hey, you for coming out. What's for dinner? Dude, let's go figure it yeah. out. All right. <laughs> Dude, for all of you watching, thanks for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Cheers. Money! Ginny <laughs> is hot. Jenny, yeah, she can eat smell your food. the food, I think. I know. She's being annoying. Oh, solid, Eddie. Yeah.